Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth, your love, your hope, your peace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. During today's sermon, I'm going to invite you once again into a story from the Gospel of John, a story about someone who has an encounter with Jesus. Each of these stories we've told in the last several weeks involve what we commonly refer to as miracles. The first week we studied Nicodemus, who seeks out Jesus after he witnesses Jesus performing signs he says no one can do outside of the presence of God. Last week we talked about Lazarus, who dies and is resurrected from the dead at the command of Jesus. In this week's story, a man born blind will receive his sight. Modern intellectual people have our misgivings about miracles. I've been hosting a Bible study during Lent this year. Last week in that study, we looked at the story of the man born blind, and one of our participants said that for him, miracles can detract from Bible stories. There's so much richness in the model Jesus gives us for moral living and for loving our neighbor, he said, but having to deal with the miracle in the story makes the whole thing harder to relate to. It's a common reaction. What am I to make of these miracles in the Bible, we ask? What if I don't believe them? It's important to note that in the Gospel of John, they're not actually called miracles, they are referred to as signs. Jesus does things that are meant to alert people to the presence of God. I would argue that this might be more relevant to most of us, Many of us wonder from time to time about a surprising occurrence or a dream. We wonder if it's a pure accident or if it might be a sign that God's Spirit is on the move. It might be a sign that we should slow down and take notice. Thinking about signs like these will be our task for today's message. Like the other lessons in this sermon series, this story is a long one. And so today, instead of reading the whole lesson, as I often do, and then going back to begin the sermon, today I'm going to be reading through the story during the sermon, pointing out some things as I go. Follow whatever translation you like if you happen to have a Bible in your lap, or on the screen you will see a recent scholarly translation called the Common English Bible. As Jesus walks along, says the scripture, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it is daytime, we must work to do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. 
while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means scent. So the man went away and washed, and when he returned, he could see. It's the story of a man who was born blind, and Jesus restores his sight. As the story begins, the disciples ask, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? A lot of sermons, some of them quite good ones, I'm sure, have this question as their focus. Why was this man born blind? What is the cause of his suffering? The disciples' question speaks to a historical idea. In the ancient world, it was a commonly held belief that physical ailments or differences were a sign of sin. And when born with those differences, the sins were often attributed to the parents. Sometimes historical context is valuable when reading and interpreting the Bible. Sometimes it can be a distraction. If I know my congregation at all, probably none of you would agree that any person born blind deserves it because of sin. This was an ancient debate. For you, it is over. So while the historical question may be an interesting one, for today, let's set it aside and move on to what Jesus says in reply. In the story, Jesus answered the question, neither he nor his parents sinned. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. Jesus agrees about setting aside the debate about sin. However, his reply about God's mighty works, that reply raises some questions of its own. I'm going to return to that verse and those questions later, but first I want to continue through the story and take a look at what happens. The man's neighbors and those who used to see him when he was a beggar said, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some say, It is. And others say, No, it is someone who looks like him. But the man says, Yes, it is me. So they asked him, How are you now able to see? He answered, the man they called Jesus made mud and smeared it on my eyes and said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I washed, and then I could see. They asked, Where is this man? And he replied, I don't know. I want you to notice that when this blind man is healed... When this man, whose physical difference has made him a beggar in his community for his entire life, when this man finally gets some good news of healing and restoration, all of the hope that you would expect from his community, all of the people that you would expect to support him, instead, they let him down. First are his neighbors. 
Is this the one who used to beg, they ask? These are his neighbors, remember. They know who he is. Some of them say it is him, but others say, no, it must be someone else. The story continues. Then they led the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus made the mud and smeared it on the man's eyes on a Sabbath day. So we've got yet one more story here about Jesus working on the Sabbath. The Pharisees also asked how he was able to see. The man told them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some Pharisees said, this man isn't from God because he breaks the Sabbath law. Others said, how can a sinner do miraculous signs like these? So they were divided. Some of the Pharisees questioned the man who had been born blind again. What do you have to say about him since he healed your eyes? And he replied, he is a prophet. First, the man's neighbors disappoint him by not being happy for him. Next, his church lets him down. The Pharisees, the respectable religious authorities of the day, are suspicious of the man's good fortune. Some are curious, but they all reduce his good fortune to an intellectual debate. The story continues. The Jewish leaders didn't believe the man had been blind and received his sight until they called for his parents. The Jewish leaders asked them, is this your son? Are you saying that he was born blind? How can he now see? His parents answered, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind, but we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who healed his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jewish authorities. And this is because the Jewish authorities had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's old enough, ask him. So, the crowd comes next to the man's parents, but his parents fear being ostracized by the polite church people, so they say, we don't know how it happened. Go and ask him yourself. Everyone in the community lets this blind man down. Seminary professor Deborah Cap says that if you find yourself at times pining away for the good old days of the past when community meant something to people, the days when people and neighbors and families and churches took care of one another, don't look to this story. First the neighbors, and then the church, and finally the parents have let this man down. All of this rejection, this utter absence of community support, it's important to notice because it is in sharp contrast to the reaction of the blind man himself. Notice what he says. 
He may begin with some doubts, but over time, even in the face of all of the community betrayal, his belief begins to grow. First among his neighbors, when asked what happened to him, he simply says, It's me, everyone. I am the man. Next, when the religious people doubt him and ask him who it was who healed him, he grows more bold and he says, He's a prophet. When his parents let him down and people interrogate him one more time, he utters words that are some of the most beloved in Christianity. Asked if Jesus is a sinner, he asks, I don't know whether he's a sinner. What I do know, I once was blind, and now I see. Amazing grace. In spite of opposition and adversity, this man's faith is growing. Let's see how the story ends. The people questioned him, what did he do to you? How did he heal your eyes? And he replied, I already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? The man's starting to get a little cheeky with his accusers. And they insult him right back. They insulted him, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this man is from. The man answered, this is incredible. You don't know where he's from, yet he healed my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. God listens to anyone who is devout and does God's will. No one has ever heard of a healing of the eyes of someone born blind. If this man wasn't from God, he couldn't do this. They responded, you were born completely in sin. How is it that you dare teach us? And then they expelled him. The community doesn't care that this man was born blind and now he sees. They are scared. They are scared of the sign and they become defensive. So they fall back on what they think they know. They call him a sinner for being born blind in the first place, and they expel him from their community. That's how the man's community responds. But how does Jesus respond? Jesus heard they had expelled the man born blind, Finding him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the human one? He answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. Faced with adversity, sight restored but thrown out of the community, the man's faith grows still stronger. Lord, I believe, he says. Jesus said, 
I have come into the world to exercise judgment so that those who don't see can see and so that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard what he said and asked, Surely we aren't blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. Here, at the end of the story, we finally get the point. We hear the truth that you sense Jesus has been carrying with him from the moment that he came upon the blind man. Blindness At least in this story, blindness isn't so much a physical situation. In this story, blindness is a way of being. This is a story about what it means to see, to be open, to understand, to be teachable, to receive wisdom, to see the signs. Some people can't do this. Some people will not do this. Some folks are so stuck in their own ways of thinking that no amount of wisdom will enlighten them. You don't know anyone like that, do you? I don't suppose you've ever been that person yourself. I know that I have. The fact is we are all tempted to be doubters and dissenters at times. One of the interesting details of this story is that there is a debate. There's a debate among the neighbors and then among the Pharisees between the believers and the doubters. But the doubters always seem to carry the day. Being blind to possibility, being inclined toward doubt, just seems to be a part of being human. I don't want to suggest that doubt is unimportant, for it is. Sometimes doubts, especially when they are expressed honestly and openly, doubts can lead to new insight. Sometimes if you want to learn something about belief, you have to have enough guts to speak out loud about your doubts. One of the participants in my Bible study this week raised a really good doubt, a really good question about what Jesus says at the start of this story, and as I said earlier, I want to return to that verse now. At the beginning of this story, Jesus says of this man's blindness, this happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. And that man in our study asked, what kind of God would allow a man to be born blind and to live a lifetime as a beggar so that God's glory might be revealed. What kind of God would allow a man to be born blind and to live a lifetime as a beggar just to prove a point? It's a great question. And if you don't believe in a God that would do that kind of thing, well... I tend to agree with you. And because that honest question was raised and was so interesting to me, I looked more deeply this week into the story. I looked more deeply into that question. Here's where I landed. Remember that while all of the onlookers, the neighbors, 
the church people, the parents. While they all have their doubts and their misgivings, the man himself, this beggar who had had such a hard life, faced with all of their hating, his faith grows even stronger. He goes from curiosity to belief. He goes from, I don't know what happened, to he must be a prophet, to I don't know this, or I I do know this, that once I was blind, but now I see. And finally, he arrives at, Lord, I believe. In this man we see some doubt, but it is paired with real curiosity, and so it blossoms into tremendous faith. That's what curiosity does. Listen to this detail I came upon as I wrestled with this passage. You see, in Greek, the syntax of a sentence, the order of the words, is different than it is in English. So the word order in our English translations of the Bible can sometimes trip us up. When I consider the obvious faith and the deep character of the blind man in this story, what I really think is going on is found not in the translation I previously read to you, but in another, a superior translation of the verse. Here it is. This happened so that God's mighty works in him might be displayed. This happens so that God's mighty works in him might be displayed. The story isn't about the man's physical blindness or the fact that it is healed. The story is about his faith, a faith that was in him all along, but that others in their own blindness could not see. The neighbors The Pharisees, even this man's parents, have always looked at the man and they have seen a blind man. They have seen a beggar. But the reality, what they should have seen, is that God's mighty acts are in him. And they have been all along. This man doesn't receive faith. He doesn't get the gift of faith after his sight is restored. This man has been faithful, gifted, full of good news to share all along. And the doubters in this story, the ones who have treated him like a beggar his whole life and who still do not believe that there is anything good in him, the ones who run him out of their community, Jesus says it, they are the ones who are blind. It is a great critique, a great question in reading this story, to ask how God could possibly allow a man to live his life as an outcast and a beggar in order for God to prove a point. The truth, I think, is that this man was never an outcast and a beggar because of what God had done to him. He was an outcast and a beggar because of what his community did to him. That's where the real sin resides in the story. If God's glory is shown in this narrative, it is shown in the way that the truth is finally told about blindness. 
I'm sure many of you know people in your own life who are physically blind. Perhaps you know someone who has another significant physical disability or difference. One of my closest friends is unable to walk. My experience is that the last thing he wants from me is pity. No way. He hopes to be seen for the whole wonderful, gifted person that he is in spite of what challenges he may face, in spite of those challenges that exist in a world that is often not constructed with people like him in mind. My friendship with him often reveals the limitations in my own thinking. It shows me my blindness. The Bible story of the blind man ends up being a cautionary tale not only about the blind man's situation, but about the countless situations where we and our communities are dismissive of the gifts of people who may be different in some respect. Our blindness to their gifts is our own failure, and our lack of care and respect for them is often a failure of our communities. To personalize the story yet one more step, haven't we all at some point felt cast aside, disregarded, diminished because of some respect in which we ourselves have been different? In all of these cases, it is crucial to realize, just as today's story tells us, that we are not cast aside by God. God remembers and loves every one of us in the midst of all of our amazing variety and difference, in the midst of all of our giftedness. The great invitation in this story is to see one another and to see ourselves as God sees us not to be blind to the holiness in every human being. Wouldn't that be a miracle?